My name's Sam Towns. I'm Alex Norton. And I'm Stuart Smith. That's right. We're back He's with back. Stuart. And this time I'm actually here for it. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to him, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. This week's Forgecast is steeping your ear tea bags thanks to the knife making supply company extraordinaire Nordic Edge. Everything you need to stock up on can be found at their easy-to-use website, so go give them a visit at nordicedge.com.au after the show to stock up today. That was graphic. (laughs) (laughs) Why why Bjorn hasn't pulled our sponsorship yet after all of these years of messages, I don't know. We love you, Bjorn. I feel like I need a cigarette after that one. (laughs) Uh, but with that out of the way, what have you been up to this week, Alex? I um, have been working on a uh, triplet of backlocks, um, sort of working on trying to do three high-end backlock knives at the same time um, and trying to keep maintain the standard of quality. Just trying to test myself and push myself to... I mean, I've had the bug ever since the 48-hour dagger challenge of trying to achieve a certain amount each day because um, mm-hmm. I... I you know, I caught myself being lazy and I really wanted to sort of turn that around. Um, and I made a while back a knife called California Dream, which I really liked how it came out. And I wanted to sort of uh, revisit that aesthetic. But um, I've been trying to push myself to think outside the box with certain shapes and things of like asking myself why does this need to be like this there's a lot of things when it comes to knife design where you just sort of think oh yeah this has to be like this or this has to be like this and i wanted to uh sort of push you know push myself to challenge those preconceptions of certain things and so i'm um, the design and shape of them uh, is going to be a little different to what you normally would expect to see, but still have them be functional, still have them be comfortable, still have them you know feel nice in the hand, um, and just challenge my own rule system that you know I'd, I'd unconsciously built in my head. Uh, it actually started after a discussion with my wife because she's working on some uh, knives at the moment and one of them the handle shape's really unique and um i was sort of talking to her about it and it got me thinking about this so um yeah i've i've sort of finally finally settled on a shape today and i really like the profile or i really like the silhouette of it and it feels really good in the hand so um i'm really happy with it. so also these knives are the first time i'm working with titanium ever on a knife project and um that stuff can be scary. <laughs> it's. Um, <laughs> I wanted to have removable uh, springs in these backlocks. I wanted the whole thing to be stripped, stripped, uh, able to be stripped apart, and I wanted the springs to be able to come out. And I, I, I was going to actually just make hardened carbon steel springs, and then I thought, I've always wanted to work with titanium. This would be a really nice, like low impact way to play with titanium without having to really get too complex with it. And titanium makes excellent springs. Uh, I actually learned that from Zane mm-hmm. Birch. Uh, he, he challenged me to try it as a spring, and it's 
it's really good as a spring. Um, and so, yeah, it's terrifying to grind titanium. Let me tell you, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Those sparks yeah, are brighter than the sun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the only, the only time you need to grind whilst wearing welding goggles, you know. <laughs> it, it makes yeah. you very, very consciously aware of working in an old wooden shed. Very consciously <laughs> aware. Um, so I found myself grinding it in little pulses, like just sort of mm -hmm. in out, in out. <laughs> but I've got yeah. I've, I I got one together and full full fit up today. And tomorrow is going to be uh, doing everything that I figured out today twice to do the other two. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of very white hot sparks flying around. Um, but it it was a good introduction. <laughs> The theory that I have that um, doing something difficult in knife making, like the spring, or for me it's a D guard Bowie's, that uh, it's the experience not essentially the same, but the experience is similar to childbirth. Because a uh, a woman will have a child, go through all that pain and suffering, then it's beautiful, and a couple of years later, so, oh, I want another one. I think that'll be nice. <laughs> getting all the pain and suffering she went through, <laughs> and. I make a D-guard Bowie when I finish, I think, that was amazing. This is such a cool knife. And then I think, oh, let's make another one. And then I bash my head and I grind my teeth. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and it's so, I can swear here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so fucking difficult. And it's like, what? why am I doing this to myself? Why do I willingly go back in and apply the same frustrations and the same pressure to do this thing again? And then when it's finished, it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And then a few months down the line, you do it again like a flipping idiot. Mm. I think that I think you need a certain amount of masochism to be able to be a bladesmith. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's just just every, every time I every time I do the forty eight hour dagger challenge, I am reminded how much masochist I am. <laughs> oh yeah, oh man, I love that challenge. Mm. Um, so my song of the week this week is an uh, an Aussie classic um, that. Australia, I, I realized that um, Australians probably all know it. They all probably remember it. But overseas, I'm not sure if it got any traction. But it's a, a phenomenal song. And it's actually um, one of the it was a, it was a melding of two groups that are from Australia. Um, one was Human Nature um, and a pop group that was very big back in the day. Mm -hmm. And um, the other one is one of our most celebrated singers from Australian history. And that's John Farnham. Uh, they got together and did a wonderful song called Every Time You Cry, which is just absolute beautiful song. I'm not sure. I, I may It may have gotten huge airtime overseas. I don't know. But Australian songs tend to not really get spread around the world too much. But it's um, it's a hoot. John Farnham has a magnificent voice. Um, I have to say I already hate you for adding that to the playlist because that, that is such an earworm. Oh, it's going to live in everybody's head forever now. That's it. Like, the moment you said it, like I had forgotten that song existed. And then the moment I'm, you said it, it's in my head now. <laughs> I'm, go I'm going to ruin it for you further. Um, there was a recording error. I can only assume there was a recording error in that song because I I thought for ages that I just had, um, like, a, an MP3 of it that had a glitch. And mm -hmm. I've tracked down, like, even CDs from shops. And I'm like, surely this one's going to... Nope. It's, this error is in every copy I've ever found of this song. At, a, at about 2 minutes 30 in, there's this weird sound. It sounds like, a, <laughs> sounds like a human voice going bleh. And 
<laughs> I tell people about this and it's like, that doesn't happen in the song. And then I play it for them and they hear it. And then they message me afterwards going, I can't not hear that now. You've ruined <laughs> that song for me now. That's I terrible. wait for it, you know, and it's yeah. there at about two minutes, I, 30. It's, it's in the recording. I'm going to have to listen to it again now. I, that song, I think, was made right at the end of when they still recorded things on, like, tape and things like that. Mm. So it would have been expensive to go and edit. It's not – these days you can just sort of open the audio clip and find the track and then just clip that part out. Mm. It wasn't as easy back in the day. And I think it was right at that sort of border because I think it came out in, like, what, like, 99, 2000? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. And so, yeah, I, I think somebody just left it in and nobody noticed it. But yeah, but you have to send me a link to that so I can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's in the Forge, it's in the Forge Cars playlist forever now to to earworm into people's faces. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you, Sam? What have you been up to this last week? Well, I mean, anyone who follows me on Instagram or YouTube is probably knows that I've been preparing for a market that I've got this Sunday. Um, basically, just trying to learn how to swing a hammer again. <laughs> Um, I, I, I kind of like thought it out and, and I wanted to just make a whole bunch of small stuff that I could put on a table, um, that is going to be within the price range of people walking around a medieval market. Um, cause like people who go to these events and stuff don't have but tons of money just hanging out their pocket. Um, yeah. so I'm, I forged a bunch of spoons and, uh, some bottle openers and stuff like that. I've got one day left, Spoon. so I'm going to spoons. So I'm going to make some little fa- like blacksmith blacksmith knives and maybe some Mjolnir pendants if I get the time. Mm. Um, you know, just the basic little stuff. And then I'll be doing a forging demo while I'm there. So whatever I make there, I'll probably sell as well. Um, but yeah, beyond that, it's it's just been, you know, yeah, just preparing for the market, preparing myself mentally and physically for mm-hmm. it. Um, it's been Life a while since I've... A bit like that. Yeah, it's been a while since I've done like people- a forging forging demo in public like i did i did forging demos at the um hammer in that we had a couple months back um which was fun but that was in front of like maybe 20 people and and they were all blacksmiths most of them i knew so (laughs) it wasn't that big a deal when you're in public it's a bit different um mentally preparing myself for dealing with a whole bunch of like armchair warriors who've seen like one episode of forged in fire and then the uh, oh. the the massive variety of like three year old children who do not understand fire is hot. Yeah. Um, and why, like, why why are you doing all that work to forge a sword? I saw them just cast <laughs> one into a sand mold. Just yeah, I, I saw steel. what they did in sick. Game of Thrones. Yeah, they just poured it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, why why don't you do Conan and like you know fire and ice to together yeah. to you know? Yeah, I, I I got words to say to Alex about that one. <laughs> is it Klaatu Baratu next Nicta? Something like that. No, no, he was I was watching your uh I think you were forging a sword or something in one of your YouTube videos. And I don't know what you were doing, but you put the damn thing in water. And you like quenched it. I mean, I'm sure there was a specific reason you did it. Oh yeah, it was it was only about 150 degrees like it was just black heat it had been sitting on my anvil for like 20 minutes um and i went to yeah, go pick yeah. it up and it was like oh no that's still too cold that's uh, still too hot so i just put it in water sorry because like uh, quenching swords in water is like blood groups for me you know it's one of those yeah things yeah I no i'm not i'm not blood an idiot 
What a blood, blood cruise, yes. Thank you. It makes it easier to pull the sword out, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Creates yeah. a vacuum. Yeah, like, did, uh. Exactly. It breaks the vacuum, yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, um my song of the week this week is actually not an Australian classic, but it comes from an Australian classic. Um you know, a, a woman whose voice is, is like incredibly recognizable. The moment you hear her voice, you know who it is. Um, a classic in the Australian country scene, Miss Casey Chambers, um, who did a, a pair of CDs with uh, Shane Nicholson. And the key track to that, uh, to their first uh, collaborative CD, was uh, a song that was used in Hell on Wheels, the like Western um, TV series, which I absolutely loved. Uh, and I recently was out to lunch with one of my partners and um, <laughs> found the CD again. And I was like, yes, I'm going to buy this. And um, I've been listening to it on repeat since. So uh, it's Rattlin' Bones. Um, and it has one of the like one of the coolest intros, like really twangy kind of intro uh, and some really cool harmonies between her and Shane. So definitely worth checking out. But anyway, thank you very much for joining us again, Stuart. I'm glad I got to, you know, actually be here for you to be, you know, <laughs> for your interview this time. To, to, to watch me struggle through the uh, process of actually connecting to the internet. <laughs> uh, I'm I, I telling you, I, I don't think I, that, that was the wrong goat that I sacrificed and uh, I didn't uh, say yeah. the words right. You know, I, I mean, honestly, it's pretty uh, par for the course for all of yeah. our uh, South African interviewees, unfortunately. <laughs> we, have to, we have to always tell the South African interviewees, an okapi is not a replacement for a goat. You've yeah, got exactly. to sacrifice an actual goat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, what have you been up to oh, this week? Pain. All right, so uh, I'm in the mad dash to sell knives. Uh, Mm. After doing the uh, the black prints, I don't know if you guys saw it. Mm, yes, with uh, the feathers. Yeah, so um, I do. I've started a series of knives called Crusaders, Crusader Bowies. The, mm. the, the the concept was a Bowie knife, but with sword like quality. Because uh, I'm not speaking uh, uh, swords is hard, as you well know. And um, but I like Bowie knives, but I like the the, um, the aesthetic of a sword. So I thought, well, what if I just mashed the two together and <laughs> came forth was the, was the Crusader Bowie. So I used the shield guard as a um, canvas for the heraldry of a particular house or family name. And uh, the first one I did was a concept piece, which is just a, a Maltese cross on the shield guard inlaid by my friend Theon Berger. Unfortunately, I didn't take very good photographs of that one. But the second one I made was uh, Richard the Lionheart. So they had the three lions rampant. No, power passant. Uh, right, that's on four legs, on three legs. And I had a red handle, black fittings, uh, polished bronze uh, and, far, and filed spaces. Very classic, elegant piece. And that's one I donated to the American Bladesman Society for the um, annual auction for to raise funds you know, for... Also made on and the and cover that. of Blade magazine, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, I got on the cover of Blade magazine. I got a, a front... front uh, front billing on the article about the knives that were done. So that was quite impressive. 
Well, there was a misprint. They said it was a 10-inch power. It's actually a 15-inch power. But anyway. <laughs> mm, I approve. So, yeah, Honestly, so, that, that Lionheart uh, buoy was, was one of my favorite things to light. I I think I yeah, used uh, I think I used you as inspiration of the week at that <laughs> that time because you did an amazing yeah, job. I do love the idea of the yeah, shield. So yeah, so I, it's, I've taken I w- not necessarily a crusader based families because but you know obviously the crusades around about the eleven hundreds there, and mm. uh, Richard the Lionheart was one of them, and uh, also part of that family. That participated. I can't remember if they did participate, but was um, Edward of Woodstock, the Black Prince of Wales, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he, according to story, he um, he had his own heraldry, which I think is a silver lion on a back, black background. But he faced a, an opponent in the lists, and he was jousting, and they fought, and he was so impressed with the way this guy fought that he adopted heraldry, the three peacock feathers, uh, three ostrich feathers. Sorry. Uh, that's where they came from, and then there's also the Order of the Garter and all sorts of stuff like that that uh, goes into uh, chivalry and uh, delves into the history of that. But not not really too deep into it. I just like the heraldry. That's the basic of it. The basics of it. Mm-hmm. The, the three silver feathers stand out very nicely on that background, on that black background, with uh, little silver studs around the shield. But those are all inlaid by my friend Tian Berger. There's a stellar job for me each time. It just makes my work shine a lot. Mm. And then I did, uh, did um, feathers on the Quillen guard as well, which were uh, coin guards. <laughs> and they put in some silver feathers on that. And he also did some studs on the back. And that was the second one that I made, which is really, really nice. And uh, so once I finished that, I, need, I was hoping to sell that. Unfortunately, my customers, uh, the ones that were really wanted it, backed out the last minute. So that's just sitting on the shelf now. I've got to do the business of knife making, which is trying to make and sell knives quickly so I can pay the bills and whatnot. You know, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, uh, cool so yeah, so well. this week I uh, I had um, already pre-forged blades. Some had been finished. It's just been sitting there because I've been prioritizing. I prioritized the uh, the Black Prince, expecting a big payday, but obviously that fell through. For now, I mean, it's nice uh, when when it does sell, it will be wonderful. Mm. I'll just keep that in the back by now. Anyway, so I had planned on doing a, a Templar-themed dagger, and, but that also requires the uh, uh, investment in paying an art, another artist in Tion Berger to do the inlays and whatnot for me, which yeah. I don't have the bucks for right now. So that's that's on hold. Um, you guys are in video right now. I'll show it to you quickly. Ooh, very yeah, exciting. I mean, you've the also listeners been work- don't get this. We, you've we also get. been working on a, a 10-inch long uh, Warncliffe Whittler, I think, you know, like a, like a sheep's oh, that, that's a very that's, that's a very special knife, but that's yeah. not a dagger, that's a short sword. That's... Holy damn, that's, <laughs> that's, ah, that's beautiful. Look at that beast. You can see. Oof. That is neat. Me like you. Yeah, it's it's a monster. Neil does daggers, I do daggers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's like an Arkansas toothpick. That is a, that is, that is a dagger. That's a little bit, I've, I've, I've made an Arkansas toothpick, this is bigger. Oh, God. That is a knife. Okay. I mean, it's not a knife, it's a knife. It's a knife. <laughs> proud. It is 17 and a half inches long. God damn. Mm. Yeah. Pretty sure that yeah. counts as a so short that, sword. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like a hobbit sword. Yeah. The, I yeah. would imagine this uh, big, big sting would be. Yep. You know? Yep. Anyway, anyway, so the idea is to do another shield guard on this and put some nice quillions, do some inlays, all with a Templar battle standard theme, which is the Red Cross. 
and the black and white background. So that'll be cool. So, but until I can get to that, I'm just made, I'm working on a Bowie knife right now. I made a couple of uh, hunting Bowies, some um, little hunting knife, an integral. So I'm just building up some stock to put out in the world. Yeah, all, all in the space of a week. All in the space of a week. Yeah, I finished. So you, I finished. Oh yes, Anna did the, the that that one cliff chopper that you saw. <laughs> I finished that very quickly. That that that's for a, something very special I'm doing next weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I did so I had to squeeze that in amongst the stuff that I'm going to sell because the Warncliffe one's not going to be for sale. But this is the Bowie that I'm working on right now. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there we go. That oh, I like that trailing point. Mm. I used used to hate trailing points, but I've been getting into them with my own work recently, and I've I've developed a taste for them. Very nice. That's a backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one. <laughs> makes me want to. It makes me want to make more buoys yeah. again. <laughs> I, 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 I love buoys. I buoys. mean, my uh, my mentor Kevin Harvey. He posted a picture on his Instagram. It's of a forged buoy knife, and he says, "Why does every piece of steel I hit with a hammer end up looking like a buoy?" <laughs> so, and I, and I feel his pain. The, the only problem is the difference, the difference between him and me is I make them on the larger side, you know. Everything is 12 inches plus, you know. I can't make the small ones. When I make a small one, it feels so awkward. That that one cliff one is 10 inches, and it just felt wrong. It's too small. Well, it makes <laughs> it easier to fill tables at blade shows, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. You don't need three knives. <laughs> and and a really heavy duty <laughs> table to hold it up. <laughs> I like I was I was kind of crossing my fingers that you were gonna have time to be able to get into the Townsbury build-off. Because I would love to see your rendition for for the Townsbury build-off, but you know. Work comes first. Yeah, it's a, it was a time thing. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. No. It, it, any any one of these challenges is a commitment. And I mean, your yours. Uh, what is yours? What's the criteria? Eight inch buoy. Uh, minimum minimum eight inch. <laughs> uh, it has to have. Oh, I was about to say uh, eight inch. No, minimum eight inch. Minimum. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and it has to have top and bottom coolants, and it has to have a sparring bar. The old moose style. Yeah. Never done one of those. Yeah, exactly. No one has. <laughs> I wanted the amount of people who have messaged me since making that challenge that have gone, I hate you. I am never doing a sparring bar again. <laughs> I had a great time doing the sparring bar on my recent buoy. Yeah, you you killed it with yours. Yeah, yeah. That was like an actual, like an that's actual the spine, spine of the knife, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the spine of the knife. Um, I yeah. saw one guy who put his, his sparring bar and he actually milled in a dovetail. Yeah. And he slid it on. That's ballsy. No, no brazing, no welding, nothing. Just perfect mm. machining. Unbelievable. Oh, me- meanwhile, Bill Thorne has um, literally, instead of doing like an over-the-top sparring bar, he's literally forge-welded the brass to the top of his knife. Like, <laughs> he did like a, a full sheet braze. To the mm-hmm. top of the knife to make it all integral. Amazing. The balls work. on that man. <laughs> yep. At least, at least he knows the spine of the knife is nicely tempered. Yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's, not, it's definitely not going to crack in half. So, Stuart, did you have a, uh, a song of the week that you wanted to add to the a very eclectic Forgecast playlist? Well, I was, I was thinking while uh, Sam was talking about his selection about what I might add to the, the list. And it's usually the, the the metal stuff, and but I thought this 
But I'm not going to argue with more Sabaton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, unfortunately, I'm going pop culture this time. I'm, uh, I'm just trying to choose between one of two for you. My, my, my daughter does work. a lot of jujitsu. No, not quite. But she's doing jujitsu, and on the way to and from jujitsu, she puts on her playlist, and we listen to some of her stuff. And she's got an eclectic taste. She listens to metal, pop, you know, whatever takes her fancy. And uh, one that is a very popular song, and it's one of the most foot-tapping songs I've ever listened to, and that's uh, Uptown Funk from Bruno Mars. Oh, yeah. You can't help but dance to that. You, you can't go wrong. I mean, when it plays, even me, I'm not a big car dancer. I just, mm, yeah. <laughs> the fingers. It's very about popular Michelle in the Zumba Pfeiffer. scene. Yeah. That was that, or one of my favorites is Van Halen Jump. Yeah. So you can take your choice. Because whenever I hear Jump, it's like it takes me back to the 80s. You know, I've got Ready Player One vibes. Yeah. <laughs> you got that, uh, and then right uh, on after it has got to be Sweet Dreams by the Eurythmics. Yes, definitely. Yeah, the Eurythmics version, definitely. Although the Marilyn Manson does a perfectly creepy yeah. version of it. Yeah, but if you want that 80s arcade vibe, it's got to be Van Halen's yeah. Jump, and then straight after that, it's got to be the Eurythmics. And, you know, just, yeah, there's certain songs <laughs> that have that vibe that just scream 80s. I, I think if you watch the Tron, the new Tron movie, not the one saying the new one, the most recent one, the, re- the sequel to the mm. original Tron. He goes to Flynn's arcade, and in Flynn's arcade, they're playing Jump, and when he finds the door to the secret entrance and he walks up the stairs, they start playing Eurythmics, exactly like you <laughs> All right. Great points, think alike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I live in a very backwater place, uh, Tasmania, and um, I think 80s, 80s pop music is just starting to come into fashion. We're that far behind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to wear the flock of seagulls now, and you've got to wear hammer pants. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well, I think we're just entering about 1983 in Tasmania. Um, torn yeah. denim is starting to become very big, so it might yeah. be a bit later in the 80s. Oh, no, that's it. I'm looking forward to your coiffed hair and your uh, velvet shirt, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger Prince. Yep, that's it. So what have you been up to in the last six months since we spoke? Anything uh, other than, you know, well, when we last spoke, you just had um, the, the Blade magazine appearance. You'd, you'd just done the, the auction night, uh, the Crusader Bowie, with the, the, um, the ABS auction. Um Fill us in. What, what's, what's Stuart Smith been doing? Well, it's been pretty much uh, business as usual, except for one small thing that did happen. We went on holiday. First mm, holiday yeah. since I've been on since, since I've had kids, which is 15 years. And uh, we went down to Cape Town and we did the Cape Town things. Uh, we went to, uh, uh, we did Table Mountain, which was fantastic. You know, it's what a great view, what a great place. It was the perfect day. It was sunny and cool. It wasn't too hot. We walked through some of the forests around the base of the mountain, which was amazing. And uh, one of the things that happened to me, which is why I wanted to tell you this story, is uh, we went to a place called Dyer's Beach on Cape Point. It's a beautiful bay, beach in a little bay. Now, the seas around Cape Point are hella violent, you know. And uh, just this little bay, the, the sea's a little calm. It's still rough. They don't allow you to go in and swim or anything, but you can walk along the beach. 
it's a hundred meter staircase down onto the beach. And I'm not the <laughs> fittest of fellas, you know. And I looked on the looked down, knowing that I would have to come back up. <laughs> and uh, it took me all of what five minutes to walk down. It's quite long. The kids scarped ahead of me very quickly because they're young and full of energy. <laughs> we went down and we, we we saw the cool waves and we sat in the rocks and we had lunch because we had a backpack with us and and we made sure that we didn't leave any rubbish behind and we packed it up after about thirty minutes. And then we approached the stairs. And just before the stairs, there's part of the sand dune. So you put your foot down and you push down and you just keep going down. You don't actually go up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it takes three times the amount of effort to walk up a sand dune as it does to walk up anything else. Yes, yes, exactly. That's a brilliant analogy. So, but, so by the time I got to the base of the staircase, I was knackered. Okay. <laughs> so the kids just kind of jumped up ahead and I said, look, just wait for me at the top. And I managed to do about 10, 15 steps at a time until I got about one third of the way. Then I was taking about 10 steps at a time. And then eventually, quite literally, taking five steps at a time by the time I was halfway up. And I was wheezing and my legs were dying. I couldn't feel them. They were so sore. And I got this weird moment of clarity and this this philosophical understanding of the world it was a very strange <laughs> surreal experience where i looked up the stairs and i thought you know what nobody's going to do it for you you know mm. you can't sit and wait for a bus you can't wait for the elevator to turn on you can't get somebody else to pull you up you've got to take those stairs one excruciating step at a time and i went into this like, zen trance of Puffing and puffing and legs burning and man, I walked up those stairs. It took me about a half hour to get up the stairs. And uh, by the time I got to the top, I was finished. And of course, it's an it's a uphill walk all the way back to the car park, oh. where uh, where we cars are parked. So that also took a little while. But fortunately, there were no stairs because walking up an incline is much easier than walking upstairs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had this, like I said, I had this weird Zen moment of clarity about, and it just the way it applies to life. And everything that we do is like, no one's going to do it for you. Stop waiting for other people to help you. Get on with it. Move forward. It's the only way. So, yeah, that was my interesting uh, existential crisis that I suffered while on my vacation. So th this is why like, the last episode you were on is one of my favorite episodes of the Forgecast, especially because I wasn't on. Uh, <laughs> like, so I wasn't on it. <laughs> Yeah, you, you should take a part-time gig as a life coach. <laughs> I love it. Stuart Smith, motivational speaker. Exactly. Do you want to know what it is? Do you want to know what the truth is? Okay, so my wife suffers from depression. Okay, she's, she still suffers from it, but it was very bad about in around just 2019. I mean, like the dark days, you know, you can imagine it. It's, uh, she was, she'd been worked into a breakdown for a job. She was institutionalized and... You know, it was the darkest time of my life. She was suicidal. It was rough, you know, and I learned that depression is contagious. Okay, so oh, yeah. she's having it for so long. I stopped working. Um, we got into debt. It, it was really the worst time of our lives. But we've pulled through. Our life is better now than it was before. The, the, before it happened. And uh, I've developed... Think and understand because I mean, I've got the depression as well, nowhere near as bad as she did, but I definitely feel it. I recognize the symptoms and I can see the symptoms in other people. 
And all I do, all I can do is offer them my perspective. And and another and another thing that also I don't want to say helps, it definitely doesn't fucking help, is I've got a lot of friends, specifically female friends, for some reason, on Facebook and Instagram, that all suffer from this shit. Okay. And they've got shit in their lives and they don't know how to deal with it. and for some reason, I don't know, maybe I've got like this dad vibe or uncle vibe or something. And they talk to me and they open up and they tell me the issues and I just tell them my experience and I try and help them through it. And I tell them, you know, I've got to take things one small step at a time. You can't rush it. You never get better. That's the thing about people that understand about depression is you don't get better. You just learn how to cope with it better. Yeah. And it's always there. It never goes away. And people who've never had it can quite literally never not understand it mm. because it, it comes across as being sad. And that's not what depression is. Depression is, is an all-encompassing, soul-sucking abyss of misery. And, you know, you, all you want to do is lie in bed and wish the world away. And you just don't want to do anything. Getting up and doing the most menial of tasks, like showering or feeding yourself, becomes impossible. And a person who's never experienced that can't possibly, you can't put into words the feeling. Although, however, sorry, I, do, I do have words you can put it into. Now, I've never suffered the depression as bad as my wife and a good friend of mine, Vanna, and he's got it bad. And he explained to me in very clear terms what depression feels like. And I'll never forget the way he said it. Um, if you ever had a friend or a parent or even a pet that you love so much and it dies, that feeling of emptiness and hollowness, he says, imagine that feeling, but nobody died. Mm-hmm just get that, that crushing feeling and you don't know why there's no reason for it something is is weighing on you and it's hard to articulate how you feel and when he told me that it was like he was wow that's heavy like and it, grieving it gave me life. a new understanding exactly you're grieving your life and it gave me a new understanding as to what people who have it bad suffer and also there's only so much you can do you can't fix anybody they can only fix themselves that's mm. the other thing i discovered because people, your instinct is to reach out and to try and help them and to do your best for them. All you're doing is making it worse. Best thing you can do for anybody that suffers from depression is listen to them and be there for them. That's yeah. it. And 100%. being there for them doesn't involve helping them and forcing them to take it out of their comfort zone and forcing them to do things. It doesn't work like that. So, yeah, there you go. That's all I have to say about that in the words of Forrest Gump. <laughs> No, it's it's an incredibly valuable thing, and like, um, you know, people talk about like, uh, people have talked to me about like my openness with my mental health issues and stuff like that. But you know, it's it's important for me that there are so many people, so many more people than just me talking about it, and like the fact that you are so readily open with you know your experiences with it and with your experiences with people suffering with depression anxiety all that kind of stuff i think it's incredibly valuable and it it really validates the experiences of those people that are going through this kind of stuff um like i know like from for my myself personally i greatly valued your insight in the last episode you were in uh i re-listened to that episode like three times um because <laughs> it really helped me coalesce a few oh, you'll, 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 get, you'll get the bill in the mail yeah, it's it, you know. <laughs> um it really helped it really helped me kind of like uh figure out a few like things that I could do to improve the way that I work and the way that I interact with my my job. So Well you're right. You're right there because um the thing as knife makers, right, and artisans, 
we rely on our ability to work to be productive. Mm. We don't go to a job where we get paid just to be there. We have to go to a workshop and we have to be motivated to be productive. And when you suffer from depression, that is damn near impossible. Mm. And I, I struggled with it for recently, actually fairly recently, like to six months ago. You're right, because I, I think I vaguely recall now talking about it. Um, and I figured, how do, how do I get into the workshop? How do I become pr productive when all I want to do is just sit and drown myself in stupid YouTube videos and Instagram posts and whatnot? Because it's such an easy escape. It's ridiculous. And uh, I, I thought, okay, well, let's try something. And I went and I wasted time, but I wasted time in the workshop. Mm. I sat there on my phone with my workshop surrounding me. And while I was clicking on my phone, I saw something and thought, you know what? I could just sweep that counter. It's not going to be too <laughs> difficult. I put my phone down. I cleaned it. And I, put, and I finished. And when I put it down, I started playing on my phone again. And I thought, you know, that, that knife, it just needs one more grind and it's finished. It's ready for a handle. Okay, and I put my phone. And it just being in the environment where you need to be creative is almost enough to pick you up and help you get going again. Because yeah. if you stay in your house, that's the one step you have to take. And it's the easiest step to take. Really, it is. And all you've got to do is get your ass off the couch, get your ass out of bed. And it's a, like I said, it's that one decision. And, and in a way, it's the easiest. And in a way, it's, at the same time, it's the most difficult. Okay? Mm. And just realize, hey, look, I can look at my phone, but I can go look at it in the workshop. And don't feel bad about it. Because if you start feeling bad about it, that just keeps you in the house. Yeah. Except, the, except, the, first, except the fact that you're going to waste time. But just waste time in the place that you need to be productive. And everything else just sort of slipped into place. It was fantastic. I couldn't believe it. And now I share yeah. that experience with everybody. Yeah, no, it's incredibly valuable. And I, I think like one of the things that really struck home for me this week specifically was, you know, cause I've been going through some shit in the last couple of weeks is that now I'm being productive, even though like the first day I only made like five bottle openers and I was like, wow, this is, this is abysmal. I could make like three times this amount in half the time, you know, a year ago. <laughs> um, but yeah. like recognizing that, I felt way better about myself having been at least a little bit productive than I ever did yeah. sitting on my ass all day doing nothing. Right. Like even if I'd only made one thing, it's always more like it, there's always more pride there than there is ever just giving in to the fucking demons. Absolutely. I, my wife, my wife, who does my leather work. And, um, as she progresses through her constant battle, this. That's an excellent job of that um, work, by the way. Mm. Thank you very much. I'll pass it on. She derives her motivation from the completion of things. Whether it's she does my my books, she does this kids helps the kids with the schooling, and uh, whenever she finishes a, a task or a project or a, or a sheath or whatever, it keeps her going. It keeps her positive, and it's the completion of something, anything, no matter how small, that'll keep you going. And I've always said it doesn't have to be a big thing because the problem what a lot of people suffer with is you look at all the work you have to do and all of it put together is overwhelming. Mm. And that's why you don't go into the workshop. It's because it's just too much. You've got to really break that into smaller things and take those smaller things and break them into smaller things and really find one tiny insignificant different thing and finish that. Because that little tiny little victory leads to more. And I promise you, it, it, it's a, it really, really works. Like I said, yeah. now I sound like a fucking self-help 
whatever. <laughs> hey, no, honestly. Some, which I'm not. I, you, you I, I still can't stand it. people. <laughs> <laughs> You've, um, with Anyways, the, your, your advice actually extends a lot into live streams um or or used to you haven't done as many recently as you used to do um but you would often yeah, sort yeah, of the, philosophize yeah no. philosophize live More like a monthly grind now <laughs> um yeah but one of the most interesting ones that you have had that i saw was where you had uh, a bit of a you were explaining a bit of a realization of self that you went through um, surrounding your journey to ms um where you, you well I'll, you can describe it a lot better but maybe if you could elaborate on like how that's changed the direction you've taken the work that you're doing i think i think i, think I know what you mean where um is it where I said I wasn't satisfied with my knives and I, I couldn't figure you out why. started you started looking at them and hating them and then it was uh, it was Kevin Harvey exactly, wasn't it yes, who actually yes. pointed it out to you I think no, no, it was it might it might have been Kevin Harvey I think so I can't remember I have to go back and listen to it but yeah I was I'll just basically relay the story the the, the sentiment that um every knife I was making before guild show. I looked at it and I thought, what's wrong with me, man? Why does this knife suck? Why does it look so bad? Why, why are there so many gaps? Why can't I get this straight? And I agonized. And what used to take me and half an hour to an hour was taking me two or three hours to do, you know, was agonizing over these excruciating little details. And even when the knife was finished, all I could see it was a, as a collection of flaws instead of a completed object. And uh, even when I show people, all I can see is how crap it looks, you know. And I couldn't figure out why I was struggling so hard and I was becoming unpleasant. And I, I didn't understand why. And I wasn't enjoying knife making. And uh, while talking to somebody, I think it was Kevin Harvey. Yeah, it was at the Guild Show. At, yeah, that's what, that was right. I was talking to Kevin Harvey. I can't remember what he said exactly. No, I didn't say anything. I was just talking to him. Sorry, I'm just remembering the incident. I was just talking to him. And while talking to him, I said, it's almost like I'm preparing for a Mastersmith exam. And he just took it in passing. And in my head, I thought, like a little, little light bulb, a little bell, little, little fairy, whatever. And ding a ling a ling made up like, fuck me, really? That's what's happening. Mm. Um, You're spiritually subconscious, ready. <laughs> I'm subconsciously gearing up for something bigger. And as soon as I realized that, the weight lifted, but the flaws I was seeing weren't because my work was bad, but because I expected it to be better. Mm. And yeah. that shift in thought process and application of my efforts totally changed the way I feel about knife making, and I started enjoying it again. And I still struggle with those same feelings, but now there's a different cause for them instead of, uh, you suck, you're such a loser, you know? And uh, although I still do suffer from incredible imposter syndrome, uh, I don't know if you know what imposter syndrome is. We do. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we, we've spoken about okay, it a well, number well, of times. Well, for the people out there who don't know, imposter syndrome is where you actually do good work, but you don't think you're good enough. And you think that the people who tell you that you're good are all lying to you. And Unconscious uh, competence. Kind of, <laughs> 
unconscious competence, yeah. And it's an awful feeling, and I constantly struggle with it. And I honestly can't tell anymore if my work is good or bad. And you lose total perspective in what you're doing. I just take the word of others. My wife says they're fantastic, but she's biased. Kevin Harvey says that I'm ready, but I don't know. I, I can't believe him. Is he being nice to me? But he's kind of the kind of guy that he's not nice to you. If he thinks you're ready, you probably are ready. Yeah, so as much like anything else in life, he just tell you straight up. He'd be like, "No, dude, you suck." Yeah. <laughs> I I have had that problem. <laughs> I have had that problem for years now, where I just I hear people say, "Oh no, you make good stuff," and I'm like, "Yeah, but do, do you really mean that?" Or like. You just trying to make just me a feel good. Reaction, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, like, oh, that's yeah. nice. I was talking about this to my friend Broden, and it's because uh, I was explaining it that I have it, and he's like, "Oh no, no, I, I do too." It's like you, you'll really finally make something that you pr- are proud of, and you're like, "Yeah, I know it's not perfect, but I'm proud of it. I, I, I challenged myself. It worked really well, and I'm somebody bought it, and I'm packaging it up to send it off." And I'm I'm happy that it's going somewhere that somebody wanted it, et cetera. And you close it up and you send it off and it goes behind the desk at the at the courier or the post office. And then you have that inner monologue that goes, What if they get it and hate it? Oh God, no, give it back. I get just a few <laughs> more details. Oh, God, just every time. More. <laughs> yeah, I and then you sit time. there and you you see a message pop up from them on like an instant message and you're thinking, Oh god, are they gonna say I hate this, I want my money back? And but then you you agonize over it and maybe a day later you open it and it's like, Oh god, it, it's really cool and you think, Oh, they're just they're just being nice. They just don't want to insult me. Got a cold dash of uh, of reality from a particular customer in China, and now uh, he bought a. I have, I have a model called the Gambler Bowie. So it's usually a swayback with a uh, with a coin escort and a hourglass handle. Okay, mm-hmm. really nice design. I really love it. And this one was in Damascus. It had mammoth tooth on it, and you know all the trimmings. It was gorgeous. Got paid a fortune for it. Now, leading up to that. He to pay me. He organized his agent to pay me through an international transfer, which usually happens. It's not a big deal, or I get PayPal. But for some reason, he paid me that way, so it was fine. Money cleared, and I shifted to him. And then two weeks passed. I never heard from him. Another week passed. I never heard from him. And I see the tracking. It's been delivered. So I sent him a message. Did you get the knife? Day pa- he sees the message, day pass, he doesn't say anything. <laughs> oh, then, he respond- and then he responds, and then he responds, the knife is awful. He hated it. It wasn't what he expected. It wasn't what it showed on the picture. The finish was terrible. Uh, he-, he said, this is exactly what I expect from American bladesmiths. This is crap work. Oh, and he lambasted me. And I said, well, send the knife back. I'll refund you your money. Oh, no, I threw it away. And then suddenly what? a little lighter made it. Threw it away. He threw away a $1,600 Damascus Bowie knife. Yeah, and I thought, no ways in hell. And he, then he started going on and be about my return policy. Okay. He says, oh, there's no way I can claim back on PayPal. I don't know what your return policy is. And I said, you didn't pay me with PayPal. And when I meant, talked to about it to some friends of mine, they said, yeah, it sounds like he wanted to get his money back and keep the knife. Yeah. Because, because what they do, these PayPal scammers, they buy from you. And then they complain to PayPal, and of course, PayPal is all about customer support. It's not about yeah. seller support, okay? And they will immediately refund the guy's money, and then I'm labored with $1,600 that I have to pay back to PayPal 
and I don't get my knife back because the guy's not going to ship me my knife back. You know? yeah. So I honestly, and if he threw it away, it's his own fucking problem. But it was a beautiful knife. But there's no way he threw what it away. Everybody said it's, to me, it's in a cabinet. There's no way somewhere. he threw it away. He's just yeah. bitching and moaning because he couldn't get his money back and keep the knife. He screwed mm. himself by organizing his um, agent, his, uh, his agent, to pay me instead of paying me directly through PayPal. So he screwed himself that way, and I'm quite happy. But I'm also pissed that an asshole like that has my knife. You know? Yeah. yeah. And it was a really nice one too. Maybe you'll be lucky and he'll cut himself with it. He'll <laughs> be admiring. We can only, we can only have... be like, whoops. <laughs> that that knife will have the name of karma forever. But, but there was that moment that you talk about where the guy was going off at me and I was my heart was just sinking and mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. But then on reflection, on reading it again, he was too harsh. Yeah. You know, too aggressive. And it's like normal people don't react like that. If you're unhappy with something, you send it back. You contact the buyer and you complain. You know, this is how normal people react. Somebody who just yeah. flips his lid and goes off like that, there's something fishy. So now I feel nothing. Now I feel nothing about it. But at that point in time, I wasn't a happy camper. Hey? Yeah, yeah, I've 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 had some bad criticism in the past, and like I've had people like tear my work apart, and you know most of the people that did it did it with the intention of helping me get better, right? None of them were really like mean about it. They were just kind of like, hey, this is wrong, yeah. this is wrong, this is wrong. You need to fix it. The only time that I've ever actually had someone fully just crap on my work completely, just like, oh, it's awful, it's terrible, why are you making that, is when it's someone that doesn't know a thing about what I actually do. Like, what, like they know nothing yeah. about knife making, they know nothing about knives in general. And they're just kind of like, nah, it's awful. You just, like, it's terrible, it doesn't look good, whatever. And I'm like, at that point, yeah, you can kind of discount it. Yeah, yeah you, just, you can just kind of discount it and kind of go, yeah, okay, whatever, mate. You know, good luck. You just quite, you just... You just quote the dude at them. Well, that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> that's it. Hey, I've watched every no, no, episode when of I, when I, Fire. I'm a master smith myself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, no. When I offer, when I offer criticisms to my fellow makers, if I offer something, it's always positive. Mm. So if I pick up a knife and say, well, the guy hasn't asked me to critique it. So I will say, wow, I really like the lines of this knife. Or... This is beautiful. And I find something to compliment about the knife because there's nothing like uplifting your fellow knife makers. I know I feel that way when somebody compliments my work. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if the guy asks me to criticize, the first thing I say to him is, are you sure? Yeah. And usually the guy, usually the guy who asks me is aware that I'm going to criticize his knife, but it's not a criticize. It's a critique. And it's, it's constructive. Like, it's not yeah. to tear him down. The critique is yeah. to build him up. I and just have a hard rule. I turn, I turn down everybody that asks me for a critique. I, I, <laughs> I have a flat rule to just say no. It's just easier. Yeah. I like. Oh, I look, also. I mean, the, the, sorry. The thing, the thing you can do. Sorry, sorry, Sam. The thing you can do when somebody asks you to critique is the way you can be proactive about it instead of it making the guy feel like he's not shit and he just wants to crawl into a hole and never make another knife again is. You say, look, it says, man, your, your, your plunge lines aren't even. Here's how you can fix it. Mm. You offer him some advice. Yeah. When a guy comes and you, like, like you said, Sam, when a guy comes and just shits on your work, it's like, okay, but what do I do to make it better? 
Oh, no, it's just crap. Well, then you're crap. <laughs> you know? that, 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 that makes no sense what you're doing. You're just being mean to be mean. You're not actually trying to offer any solution to the problem I'm having in making my work. Something, something Sorry, I always... No, no, it's like something I always like to do as well is to like comment on the things that I actually like about something as well. Like, you know, if someone says, hey, what do you think? And shows me something, I'm I, I'm immediately going to respond positively unless they go, hey, what do you actually think? What's your critique? And then I go, are you sure? <laughs> um, but, like, but like, if I see something like uneven plunge lines, but the profile is nice, like I really like the way that they've formed the profile, I'm not going to just go, your plunge lines are crap, you know, like, or, you know, like the plunge lines are misaligned. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I'm also going to point out, like, I really love what you've done with the profile. I really like what you've done with the handle shape. I really like how you've done this because I think it's important to positively ensure, like to, to positively reassure someone of the things that they're doing well so that they don't forget what they're doing well in place of trying to get better at what they're doing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If they're Absolutely. already doing something, if they're doing something right, you want to remind people that they're doing it right. Like, because uh, if you give them nothing but negative criticism, then all they're going to walk away with is negative criticism. And exactly. the yeah. biggest problem that we run into now is that, like, a lot of people still think of blacksmithing, bladesmithing as a trade. And so there's like this kind of subtle undertone of like, you need to be of a certain class to be a this tradesperson that is a bladesmith. But realistically, we are artists. We are artisans. Absolutely. And when you and when you make art, you put yourself in your work. And so therefore, yeah. a lot of us have trouble with when we have work critiqued, it feels like a critique of us. It's not like, you know, if someone Absolutely. critiques your work, it, you feel like it's yeah. a person. Yeah, it feels like it's a personal attack, you know, like, you know, oh, yeah. you didn't you didn't do this right or whatever. And it oh. just feels like you're doing something wrong. You you personally. Well, if you, if you think about it, this is, this is one of those wonderful realizations that I had when describing what I do to other people. And what we do as artists and bladesmiths, uh, and what any other artist does is very unique, is we take nothing and we turn it into something. Mm. Okay? You can take a piece of steel, a block of wood, and a piece of bronze, and you can put it in the anvil. And you can say to somebody, I'm going to turn that into something amazing. And the process of it is long and painful and often involves crying and the fetal position of your work floor. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it gets done, we do it, and we can, we can manifest. Is it six o'clock? No, no, no. My phone rang. <laughs> And then it decided it was more the spam was more important than my interview. So, <laughs> we'll just leave that in the show. No, like, like like I was saying, we, uh, we, we, we there's something mystical about what we do because we manifest creations out of raw materials, and there's something so pure and and almost spiritual about it. You know, we're actually every hammer blow is kinetic energy that you've created from food that you've eaten, from exercise that you've done. You're transferring that energy through your arms, through the handle of the hammer, through the head of the hammer, into the steel. When you push the blade against the grinder, when you're shaping the wood, the energy that flows from your body into the blade, and everything about it is a total infusion of yourself into the work mm -hmm. that you're doing. The only thing I think that is more pure than that is writing, music and writing. Mm -hmm. Because 
that you actually have nothing tangible to, to work with. You quite yeah. literally pluck it out of the air. And mm. to, to me, that's like the purest form of expression because, I mean, with, with what we do is we can look at the steel and we can see the blade in the steel and we can see what we want to do. With a writer, they look at a blank piece of paper and, and they just have to create, you know? Mm. And that, that takes real skill to do that. And I mean, I, that just, I, I'm, I'm constantly impressed by authors and writers who can just manifest stories, even if they're bad stories. You still, they're still doing something, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's uh, a very good, that's a very good friend of mine and someone I, I, I you know, I take great pleasure in knowing, uh, often says, I create things that need to exist. Um, <laughs> you know, he, the, there's those things that like, exist in your mind that you have to then bring into reality because there is no other way for them to exist because they'll keep knocking at the inside of your skull driving you insane until you let them out well that's a i had a i've written a novel right which needs to be edited i started about 10 years ago maybe Hmm. even longer and uh, i finished it sometime at the beginning of 2021 and it needs to be edited now and i'm not the kind of person who likes things backwards you know, I want to write, I want to leave the editing to somebody else. But unfortunately, I do have an editor who says, no, I can only tell you what to do. You have to do it. Mm. So it's been in editing limbo now for many years, and I still need to finish it. But it all started as an idea for a series of short stories. And uh, it's a science fiction novel, and it's all about exploring the solar system and colonizing a few hundred years in the future. Very cool stuff. Mm. And I started it with the first short story, and you know, and when I started the second short story, I didn't know what to do. So I just took the character from the first short story and I put them in the scenario of the second one. And guess what? It turned into a, a, a hero's journey of types. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I ended up with four, 14 chapters and 600 pages later and bullseye. You know, you got yourself a novel. Which I really, really want to publish before I die because the idea of just having a little book on my shelf that says by Stuart Smith would be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Books tend I'll, to, to happen. A whole bunch and I'll give it all to my friends. Oh man, I want one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, sorry, that's that, that, sorry. Uh, sorry, I hope you don't mind. Um, got me uh, while you we were talking about uh, making your work, Sam. Mm. Um, something occurred to me is that when you have customers that want something that you're making, do you ever show them works in progress? Um. So. I do. I, I used to. I, I don't do a lot of that at the moment. I don't know why. Um, I don't do commissions as much as I used to because commissions yeah. are soul sucking. Uh, avoid commissions at all costs. <laughs> yeah. They, they are the worst. Um, but yeah, like I, I try and send them work in progress pictures purely because you know I like them to know that I'm actually still working on well, the piece. The, re- the reason I say it is, I have now developed the, uh, the attitude towards my customer so, so when somebody places an order and i and because it's an audio i'm doing inverted commas with my fingers okay mm-hmm. um and they place an order it's not for something that they want made it's something they want that i've made right so i always say that when somebody comes to me oh can you make this knife i say no why not because it's not my design it's not something i make mm-hmm. uh, if you want something that i've made previously that you like like that then sure I'll put you on a list, and if I make something like that again, you get first option. It's not really taking orders. It's more like a wish list. But um, I uh, I have totally lost my train of thought now. 
something <laughs> shiny. It's always a always a risk. So, so I, I, I go back to my original point about posting pictures. The customer can often not see the knife in the lump of steel that you're showing them, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, that's nice. Um, what, what's the next step?" You know, <laughs> you're like, "Don't worry, it's it's still got a long way to go. I promise. There's a knife in there somewhere." And you show them the handle construction in progress with a block of wood and a half round guard or whatever. They're like, "Oh, like, oh, that's again like this uncomfortable comments on your on your <laughs> messaging." It's like, "Don't worry, man. I still got to shape the handle. It's not finished." Of course, in the end, they're like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. That's beautiful. It's like, oh, you know, all the anxiety and the stress on both of our behalfs because me thinking mm-hmm. you're expecting something else than what I'm going to mm-hmm. deliver. And him th- and him thinking, oh, God, this guy's not making what I wanted him to make. And the two, are, two of us butting heads when we're actually on the same page. They just don't, they're just, he's reading the book upside down, you know? Yeah. Uh, I noticed that with my digital yeah. system that I use for my knives, it's it's almost you could map an exponential curve of the frequency. Like in the early days, when it's just bars of steel and blocks of wood, is you know I'll get like one or two people over the course of several days saying, "Yeah, sure, I'll be on the dibs list." And then as, all of a sudden, there's a profile to it, and I start getting a few more people. And then as it gets closer and closer, and the people who add themselves to the list at the end never get it. Because the people <laughs> who got in really early are the ones who get it. Because I go through the dibs list in order. And they're always like, oh, yeah, I never yeah. get one of your knives. And I'm like, you got to get in early. But they're like, yeah, but I don't know what it looks like. And it's like, yeah, but you know my style. You know what <laughs> yeah. the sort of thing yeah. that I make. you got to climb in early, yeah. Yeah. That yep. people can't see the, uh, the, the vision that's in your head. And there's no way to communicate. I mean, you could do a sketch. But the sketch, you can't hold a sketch. You can't shine light over yeah. a sketch. You can't. You can't see the Another texture. Reason why I don't, don't like taking a customer's sketch because what they think looks cool actually is not cool when you put it into knife form. But also, yeah. I want you've, this, I want you've that, got to no. love it. You have to love the thing you're making. Otherwise, the passion's not there. Yeah. And then if the passion's not there, your soul isn't in it. This yeah. this okay, so freaking Pugio that I've had for the last two years <laughs> that is still sitting on my desk gathering rust right now is exactly that. There it, will be a new Holy Roman Empire by the time. <laughs> <laughs> Undoubtedly, because like oh, he like the, the thing is, this was the first commission that I'd ever that I ever taken that they literally handed me a scale drawing. They handed me the handle materials, all of that kind of stuff that they wanted used. They handed me everything. They were like, this is everything that I want exactly like this. And originally when I took the commission, I was kind of like, this is great. I don't have to think about anything. I don't have to lay anything out. I've got everything laid right in front of me. And every minute that I've worked on this thing has been absolutely soul crushing. I hate it in every aspect of its being. Um, it just, it is totally outside of my style. It's totally outside of what I like. It's totally outside of everything that I stand for. And because it wasn't designed by me, like the the original drawing and everything was not designed by me. There is nothing of me in it other than the fact that I was the one, like it was my hands that are making it. And I think like that, that is the hardest part is, you know, it's like going to, it, it would be like going to Pablo Picasso and asking like, and telling him to draw something that you've already sketched. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, um, <laughs> it's just, you know, you don't go to an artist well, and tell them what you want. Well, I've got a similar story. Uh, I was contacted by a fellow in America. Now, this, this is why 
this is, I think, the one and only time where, and this is when I decided to stop taking orders, full stop, no exceptions, okay? Because this ended so badly that uh, I thought, no, I can't endure this again emotionally, okay? So a guy ordered a uh, dog bone bowie from me. A dog bone in itself is quite a complicated knife to make. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, okay, look, I love making dog bones. They're tricky, but I'll make it. I gave him the quotes and everything. And he said, no, he wants a green handle. Like, oh, because he's part of a, some, some other Irish regiment and they want to, uh, he wants a green handle. I thought, okay, fine. I hate green handles. One of my pet peeves. One night. So I thought, okay, fine. I said, we need to find you a nice piece of green wood. Nine months of back emails back and forth trying to find a green piece of wood for him. Now, he lives in America, the home of stabilized woods, right? <laughs> and he couldn't find. The only piece of green piece of wood he could find was from a guy in Croatia who sent him the wrong size piece of wood, and he paid fifty dollars for a ten block of ten dollar block of wood that he could have got in America. Okay, and then he sends it to me. So it's like one hundred and fifty dollars with shipping and everything down the drain just to get the block of wood to me for me to tell him that it's the wrong size. Okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, dude, I told you, let's just keep looking, man, and you will find something. Anyway, so I was a bit upset about that. So anyways, in the meantime, I forged the blade. I done. I learned how to do a really cool um, uh, rope pattern. When I say rope, I mean twisting in and out, crisscross, Celtic like a basket weave. Not, yeah, or sort of like a basket weave, but only with two on the span right. of the knife. Yeah, I learned how to file one of those. That was really cool. I must do it again. So I've done the blade and I prepared the guard and everything, just waiting for the bloody handle. And at every step of the way, because it's taking so long, and the guy's emailing me. Can't, yeah, you know the, the the feeling when the customer just can't make up their mind. Yeah. You know? And I wasn't feeling it, man. And I was getting so upset. And this eventually I just sat down and thought, you know what? I hate this knife. <laughs> As it stands, doing it, I hate it. I don't like the customer. So eventually I said to him, I said, Look, man, I'm not feeling it. I don't want to do this knife anymore. I know it's almost finished, but I, I don't want to. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And then out of and I confess, it was my fault because I'm the one who cancelled the order. Okay, I'm the first and only time I've ever done this. I said, look, I'm not making this for you. I don't want to do it anymore because I'm not enjoying the process. It's quite the like say, like Sam, killing your inspiration, killing your soul. Yeah. And in a way to offer compensation, offer to pay him for the wood and the postage for his wood, mm. which is $150. And he didn't want anything. Okay, he said, No, fine. He was pissed at me, but he said, Fine, let's just leave it. I said, No, I'd like to compensate you. And I said, Let me sell the knife first, then I'll give you some money. And I sold the knife, but unfortunately, I had bills to pay. So I didn't use that money to pay him like I should have. And mm -hmm. what should have been a quick repayment turned out to two or three payments. I had to borrow money from a friend in America to pay for that to him, give him the complete payment. And he was now offered me in a typical American fashion, because I'd offered to do him a favor and repay him for his mistakes. Obviously, he's a customer. He doesn't make any mistakes. But anyway. <laughs> Customer's always right. And eventually, eventually, I got it paid. Now, there's a guy in America who thinks I'm the shittest guy in the world. I'm the worst knife maker. I dropped him on a deal. And, you know, that's the one incident where I, I was actually, I did, I did not do well by the customer. So, I, I still take full responsibility for it. But I had to because it was, it was killing me. Really, it was. 
And you sure he's, you're sure he's not like family? He's not like related to you? That sounds like a very family thing to do to uh, drive you to the <laughs> point where you finally fucking snap. And then when you do snap, turn around and be like, how could you do this to me? It sounds like a real family. Yeah. <laughs> you sure you're not related? That's aggressive shit there, yeah. Yeah, no. I, anyway, I so think, yeah, like, like I said, there's, a, there's this guy out there who hates my guts and thinks I'm a shit knife maker. Uh, I I had a, a customer that like contacted me with an idea. Like he didn't he didn't have a specific design in mind when he contacted me. He's like, hey, I saw you make the mountain man buoy, right? Which was my like deer handled, um, you know, like penny scroll guarded yeah. forge finish buoy, and I loved that knife. Um, and he was like, I want something like that, but I want like a wire, a twisted copper wire wrapped handle. Right. He wants, he wanted like this, this copper and copper and forged steel kind of look. And I was kind of like, this is amazing. I love this idea. I want to do this. And originally he was kind of like, you know, free reign, you can do whatever you want. And then suddenly <laughs> for the next like six weeks, every week he would message me and go, oh, I've had an idea and I want to change something. I want to do this and I want to do that. And like, I'd sent him probably like 16 different drawings of the knife every time he changed something. And when we finally agreed on the final design and I started working on it, he sent me another message saying, oh, I've thought about it and I actually want to change something. And I just kind of went, okay, I'm done. I I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> We're not doing this. <laughs> I canceled the order. And it was, it was literally one of the first orders where I just straight out canceled because this person could not make up their mind. Uh, like, yeah. you, and, and that's when I started realizing that commissions was a really bad idea. <laughs> they always are. Yeah. And and also, if you can avoid it, try not to take money up front. That's oh, yeah. the worst yeah. thing you can do. Because like, the hardest knife to make is the one that's already paid for. Yeah. yeah. That's when you owe them. Well, I hate yeah. to break up this trip down memory lane, but we do actually have some listener emails that, Stuart, you might be able to help us answer. Sure. Yeah. So um, in the spirit of helping people, and improve their knife making game <laughs> our uh, our listener email segment actually comes to you thanks to the knife maker plus team uh you've heard us chat with master smith Carl Roy multiple times on the show uh so you know just what an incredible bladesmith he is but now you can learn from him yeah. directly with the help of their online courses and subscription tutelage at learnknifemaking.com all gorgeously filmed and edited by his talented brother josh it's like having an in-person lesson that you can pause, rewind, and replay as much as you need. So uh, come join Sam and I as members at learnknifemaking.com to step up your life knife making to the next level. So our first email comes from the Anvil Vandal, and he, we haven't heard from him for a while. Yeah, uh, he says, hey, guys, so I just purchased my first real anvil, a 60-pound London pattern anvil and plan on making a stand similar to the one made by Make Everything on YouTube. Uh, basically a bunch of two by fours stacked up with sand in the middle and plywood top and bottom. I made one like that for my I-beam anvil and I quite like it. However, there is one problem with it. The anvil walks all over the place. I'd prefer my anvil to stay in one spot. I don't have the option of burying it and I don't think that I would be allowed to bolt it to the concrete any recommendations on keeping my anvil from moving would be greatly appreciated. I'm also thinking about adding some steel on the other side to widen the face. Uh, what thickness would you recommend for the occasional inevitable forging? It'll just be a piece of mild steel three to four inches wide, but I'm not sure how thin is too thin. 
Also, how thick would you recommend for a mild steel upsetting block? Figure may as well add some since I'm building a new stand. Once again, I really appreciate all the information you guys put out there. Keep it up. Loving the show. Keep up the great work. Right. Thanks, so man. rubber on the base will help a little bit, but really you want more mass. I was going to say the same thing. A just a rubber rubber mat underneath your anvil will sort that out. You know what actually would work even better? If you go to uh, most sort of homeware stores, you can get sort of non-slip matting. That's this sort of, It's, it's kind of like yeah. rubber mesh. Uh, and usually yeah. you put it, put it under chopping boards and things and it stops them sliding around. That stuff is actually surprisingly good at stopping things from sliding. Yeah. That would be the, like, that's it. Like, weight. Weight and the, the rubber is going to be your only way of stopping it from moving if you don't bolt it down. As for some uh, plate I, to use, I use, I use old conveyor belts. I use old conveyor belts rubber underneath mm -hmm. my anvil. It's just started raining. I've got to close my car window. Quick, carry on. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh, as for your upsetting block, uh, I if, even as mild steel, I would probably go something like 15, 16 mil minimum. Yeah. Um, it's all. It's all. It's all about the mass. Just remember that. It's all about the mass. mass when I. Mass. Before I had my beamish anvil, I I would just use a railway tie plate, like those you know big oh, thick yeah. railway tie plates. I just put that on the concrete of my floor and then use that as my upsetting block, um, <laughs> because you know if I needed something lower than the face of my anvil. But like yeah, sixty pounds is a really small anvil, so you're going to be needing to add a lot that, of. No, that's well, sixty pounds is only oh, like sixty pounds. I'm thinking sixty yeah. kilos. No, no, yeah. 60 pounds is like a th like 20 28, 28 kilograms, kilos. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is 20, a small anvil. 25, 26 kilos, yeah. So um, that's a, a baby little anvil. So you're going to need to add a lot of mass to the actual stand mm -hmm. if you want to keep yeah. it from moving around. Um, also, uh, if you make a, if you manufacture a, um, well, can you hear me okay with the rain? Yep. Yeah. You're all good. Okay. I uh, also need to make a, tripod anvil stand that'll also secure it much better than either a square one or with four legs so where the horn is you put your long legs and then you put two short legs under the where the hardy holes are i'm sorry Stuart, yep. i've got i've got to do this it's gonna take a lot to drag me away from you <laughs> there's nothing but a hundred band or more <laughs> Uh, it had to happen. I'm sorry. In nominee part three, Philly. Yeah, yeah, you're hearing actual <laughs> rains in Africa. Yeah, rains down in Africa. Yeah, um, so interesting, interesting, interesting side story. Quickly talking about Africa. Uh, I went to uh, Blade Show in 2019. So, so the first time I went to America was in 2017. I stayed with a friend in Tennessee. His wife worked at a restaurant, and she told him that her friend from Africa was coming for a visit. And she was bringing me by so I could have some dinner there and I could meet all her friends. And I went and I met the friends. They were all very present. And when she took me home and we sat and we had drinks and even she said, the funniest thing happened. When you left, they all came to me and said, he's white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and did you hear the yeah. drums echo in the night? <laughs> only, only the ones in my head. The drums, <laughs> drums, drums in the deep. Yes. Jumanji drums. 
Well, hopefully that answers your question, mate. And our next email comes, uh, funnily enough, I think he knew it was coming and sent the rain because the next question is coming from the God of Thunder himself, Thor. Um, He says, I have recently come into possession of over 100 pounds of mild steel, 7 inches by 21 inches and 2.5 inches thick. And I am just getting started on my forging path. And due to my name, would like to try my hand at making hammers. I figured this would be a good practice material, but I am wondering if there would be much else use for a mild steel hammer. Love the show. Thanks for all the great knowledge. Thor. So that is um, a butt ton that, of steel. Like that's some that's big, a, big material lot, to move. That's a lot of scrap steel that you got there. That's pretty much useless for anything. Like yeah, yeah do you, like I, I, the one thing that would cause me pause would be like, can you cut that? Like, do you have the ability to cut it up? Because mm. cutting through two and a half mil, uh, two and a half inch angle thick, grinder, that's that's a tough, cut, tough cut. Yeah, no, two and it's, a, two, it's a plasma cut snack. Yeah, oh, you, need a, you need a gas axe for that. Well, no, not plasma cutter. I don't think there's a plasma cutter on Earth that can cut two and a half inch thick stuff. Like, not with that attitude, Sam. <laughs> Crank up the amps. <laughs> <laughs> but like two two and a half inches. That's a that's a butt ton. Like that's a very thick piece of steel, and then seven inches long. So if you cut a strip off of that, like two and a half inches wide. A New so, York strip like, stake off the side of that's going to go through about four cutoff discs yeah, on a nine-inch grinder. <laughs> and then, then you're going to have a seven-inch long piece of two-and-a-half-inch square mild steel. Yeah. Like, that. my my wow. hammers that I make, the, for a three-pound hammer, I use 40 mil square, which 40 mil square is like inch and three-quarter, or thereabouts, like it, just a little bit less than inch and three-quarter. So the three pound hammer is is only f- um, five inches of that material. Mm. <laughs> so seven inches of two and a half is going to be like a, a six pound hammer. It's one thing um, that we, we we talk about you you know scavenging and getting scrap and things uh, on this show a lot because it's a really great way for beginners to actually get cheap or sometimes free material to practice their skill with. Um, but one thing that you do have to consider is that you have to be able to process that scrap, and that means yeah. cutting cutting it in the first place, and also forging it while inexperienced is a process. If you are mm. not used to moving steel, anything over maybe ten twelve mil thick is going to really test you yeah yeah so if in bar form it's fine but if plate, yeah you've got issues yeah i i mean like i don't think even i would take that kind of material like the only reason i would have that that thing lying around is if i needed like an upsetting block or a striking plate like that sounds a perfect size for a striking Anvil plate. handle needs an upsetting block would <laughs> Send it to Anvil Vandal. But, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt and that he does have a means of cutting this up. Um, there are uses for mild steel hammers. Um, one, the body of the hammer can be mild steel and you can have forge welded faces of carbon steel. It's no different to making like a wrought iron hammer with forge welded faces. But if you're using something like a, a blacksmith's friend or a guillotine tool, you really want a soft face hammer to strike or the top stri- any, any structural struct tooling, yeah, it's it's going to prevent mushrooming of the of the top of the tooling, which can lead to flying fragments and nastiness. Uh, so most blacksmiths will have a soft hammer in their um, shop. Maybe they've it could be as simple as they've gone and bought a club hammer from a hardware store and then completely detempered it, um, or they. <laughs> 
they sometimes do make it out of a block of mild steel or just something that they've never tempered before. Um, and they are they are a thing that most blacksmiths um, would have in their shop and all blacksmiths should have in their shop. Um, but yeah, processing that material, especially if you are new to this and inexperienced, is going to be risky. Very, very actually, just, just on that subject, this is something I wanted to bring up this episode and I'd completely forgotten until you said it. Um, very good example of why using a soft face hammer is incredibly important. Wozniak blacksmithing on Instagram, if you don't follow him, um, posted a couple of days ago of a photo of his shop floor covered in blood. Just oh, yeah, I remember that. Absolutely everywhere because he hit a gusher. Yeah, no, one of the um, one of his struck tools uh, chip flew off so hard that it actually cut the vein inside his elbow. Mm. uh in his arm and it sprayed blood everywhere over his shop luckily he is okay and he has had surgery and he's now uh on the mend and back to work but hitting struck tooling with hard-faced hammers and especially if the tool itself is hardened or mushroomed specifically like mushroomed really badly so it's been work hardened quite a bit uh can have can have very bad, very bad results. Those things and, will fly off at the speed of a low-velocity round, like a bullet. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about, like, they've done it for years and they haven't had a problem. It only takes once. Yeah. Like, if, if and the, it wasn't... The, that... scar the scariest thing about them, those chips that can fly off like at the speed of a bullet and do that kind of damage have probably happened to you before and they just haven't hit you. Yeah, they missed you. And that's the scary thing. And, you know, you might get lucky and it might bury itself in a piece of, like, fat or, you know, just, like, just bury itself in your skin. But there are lots of places, especially on your hands, if you look at the back of your hands, there's a lot of veins that stand up on the back of your hands. Um, they're very close to the surface. And so, yeah, be careful out there. Um, yeah, everybody listening <laughs> to this is now looking at their hands. <laughs> but, like... But the thing is, like, and and it's just for me, it was that it really struck home for me because it was something that it reminded struck me home that for him I, too. Well, yeah, it <laughs> just reminded me I needed to dress my I needed to write dress my tools, and I went back and I actually took all of my struck tooling and I annealed the ends again mm. uh, after after I'd ground them, like ground all the mushroom off. I then took them to a blowtorch and just blowtorched that struck end, got them nice and soft because. Hell no, I am not taking that trip to the hospital. <laughs> I, I have tiger-striped the handle of my soft-faced hammer so that I always know... Because I hate tiger-striped hands. <laughs> I think it's the worst, ugliest look for a handle. I'm sorry to anybody that likes it. I think it looks awful. And so I've tiger-striped my mild steel hammer so that I, I, already, I can just immediately go and grab it without thinking and not accidentally hit things with hard-faced hammers. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's it, yeah. So, like, having a soft face hammer is incredibly useful. So if you do want to make a hammer out of your mild steel, go for it. But I think you're going to have a lot of hard time getting a, a hammer billet out of that. Yeah. It yeah. just sounds like a lot of material. <laughs> Stuart, show me a tiger-striped hammer. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's even better, it's a tiger-striped dog head. It's great. Uh, Love it. Yeah, you get bonus oh, points for right. being a dog's head hammer. Dog's head. Yeah. Dog's head hammer. Love it. You redeemed yourself and a little bit. Oh. <laughs> the tomahawk handle it tapers down towards the hand <laughs> yeah so our uh, final question comes from keith um, and he says i have a question about w2 and etching for hormones 
I recently did a hormone on my first W2 buoy knife for Sam's buoy build competition. It was an amazing experience. Thank you, Sam. Since then, I have fallen in love with W2 and hormones. I, I know that ferric chloride will create a nice hormone. Will cleaning vinegar do the same as ferric chloride? If not, what are some alternatives to ferric chloride that will do the same or roughly the same? I try not to keep harsh chemicals around like ferric chloride as I have children and children like to get into everything. And I do not always like bugging my friend to use his ferric chloride. Thank you for your help. P.S. Congratulations on being the number one podcast in the world. You both definitely deserve it. Sam, I'm still loving the hammer. It is one of the best ones I've ever used, and it is my go-to hammer. Thank you, Keith. Well, thank you very much. We're still pretty chuffed about finding out that we're the number one blacksmithing podcast on the internet. That's we're still holding the place too, as last time I checked. So Yeah, no, as far as I know. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. But uh, Wynn's got us got us on the ropes. <laughs> I, I have been I've been schmoozing J Ball knives um to get him on to talk about his magnificent Hamon work. Um but uh he does this skull hammon for him. What's that? Sorry, Stuart, your rain is very loud. <laughs> the rain's in Africa. Uh, in, 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 yeah, it's helping down, I think you see behind you there. Eh? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Bit of a monsoon. Yeah, let me go into the workshop. Right, it's a little better. I hear the drums are going tonight. There's <laughs> only whispers of some. Um, yeah. Uh, is it? Is it? Uh, so what's his name? Ball. Jay Ball. What? what oh, Jared Ball. Jared Ball. Yeah, Jared Ball. Yeah. Doesn't he do the the um, Punisher skull hammer? No, he does very like lightning lightning strike Aishi action on his, and he polishes is it with silica silica paste. There's a guy out there who's doing Punisher Skull Hamon, like four or five of them, Punisher Skulls, and when he quenches, that's the Hamon. Yeah, wow. And it's absolutely mm -hmm. amazing. Cool. Um, I mean, in answer to Keith's question, um, I have, so I do very traditional Hamon polishing. Um, and he and has a great video on it too. Yeah, I, I, I go very into detail. Um, and I really like high polish uh, hormone etches. Now, the problem with ferric chloride hormone etches is they tend to be very aggressive and they tend to darken the blade quite a bit, um, which I don't like in my hormones, but it's, you know, a preference thing. Um, if you were going to use cleaning vinegar, you would have to boil it, like boil it while you were um, etching because vinegar on its own doesn't create a very even etch and it's much weaker than ferric. Um, however, I do use cleaning vinegar when I etch my hormones. It's just that I do a more traditional esque polished hormone, uh, where I like to draw out the hormone and ashy, but leave the blade that shiny silver, you know, kind of metal look. Um, so it, it depends on your preference for what your hormone looks like, but, um, yeah, it can work. It's just not as effective. Really, when it okay, comes down to it, is that harder steel takes a polish better than softer steel. So mm. um, if you've got that massive hardness difference and you go up to those really high polish levels, you can start seeing it even without any sort of edge. What I do, um, when I, I get a few basic come on. I don't do the fancy ashy and, you know, the, the, the cloud pattern and like that. I just get a, like a standard wibbly come on. I use gun gum, which is a exhaust sealer, 
and I pack my blade in sausages instead of pudding. I don't know if you know what I mean by sausages. Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I can. Best way I can demonstrate is by showing you that the, that the listeners won't understand. I take my steel and I put sausages like that. Ah, okay, so line, I, lines. I, I, I run a bead of clay perpendicular to the edge from the yeah, back yep. of the knife towards the edge. And then what I do is I edge quench it. Because you're putting a, you're not encompassing the spine, the heat takes more evenly in the blade. Whereas if mm-hmm. you pack your spine with clay, it acts as a heat sink, and you've got to carefully bring the temperature up to make sure everything is the right temperature. But with the spine exposed, with the sausages, you can see the color of the spine, you can get your heat up more evenly because there's not so much clay acting like a heat sink. And then by edge quenching it, the clay just interrupts the straight quench that you might get and gives you a wavy line. It's a very gotcha. like a kitchen sink, idiot's guide to uh, basic hormone that I do. Um, I found Hamon works best for me on very special steel that we've got that's becoming a rare commodity here in South Africa. It's Okapi 1070. Now, Okapi is a South African knife manufacturer that uses 1050 for most of this stuff, but they had a huge stock of 1077 more plates that they didn't do right. anything with. So, Nils and I drove down to fetch some. You can ask Nils about it the next time he's on. Ask him mm-hmm. about the uh, epic quest we went on to get uh, three tons of uh, 1070 plate steel. <laughs> In, in his two-ton bucky, what was a eight eight and a half hour drive down turned out to be a twelve and a half hour drive back. Oh jeez! Because we had to drive up Van Eeren's Pass, which is all uphill from the lower Rital into the uh, escarpment and the plateau of um, Kauteng area. At about uh, yeah, twenty kilometers an hour. <laughs> yes, it was slow, man. It was so slow. Anyways, but that something about that steel creates wonderful hammer. Now, what I do is once I've created the hammer, you can, once you do a 60 grit uh, finish after that, you hold it in the sunshine and you see this crisp white edge opposed to the silvery gray of the back of the blade. So you can see your hammer at a 60 grit and you know you've mm-hmm. done the job right. And what I do is once I've uh, tempered and polished and it's ready for the etch, I etch it in pericloride, not very strong, like a medium strength, like strong tea more than Coca Cola, mm-hmm. you know? Etch it in there for no more than 20 seconds. And you pull it out and it shows you the temper line, the, the, your, 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 your hamon. And then what I do is I clean it with a brass polish. We have brass, so I don't know what you guys use. Yeah, we have brass. Uh, yeah. Brass polish is, brass has got a micro uh, grit in it that polishes. Okay, so I've got just on a standard tissue, tissue paper. And then I, once I've cleaned it, obviously you've got to um, neutralize the acid in some bicarb. Water. Yep. Okay. Then I dry it and then I polish the whole thing thoroughly several times with brasso, getting rid of all until the brasso comes off yellow instead of black. Yeah. Okay, because you're polishing yep. off the oxides from the quench from the from the edge. What that leaves you with is a very pale grey blade with an even paler edge. So the edge is not quite silver, shiny silver yet, but it is quite pale. Because normally, guys, when you etch the, the, the hamon, the edge comes out black because yeah. obviously it's been quenched, the, 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 the structure has changed, so it reacts differently to the acid than unquenched steel. All right? So once I've done that, I then spray some oil on a um, 4-0 wool, steel wool, mm-hmm. and I give the whole thing a thorough cleaning with oil and 4-0. I then clean it again, and then I've got 
3000 grit oxide powder. Right. Mm. And just on a just on a piece of tissue or a very clean dusting cloth. You would just like mm-hmm. a little tap it on there and you and I punish only the hamon. Okay, being very careful also not to cut yourself because my blades are razor sharp and an apple seed edge when it goes into the acid. Because mm-hmm. I don't like sharpening don't like sharpening it afterwards. It takes a nice clean finish and puts a little silver line on the edge. It doesn't look nice. <laughs> so I might sharp when it goes into and the many time I've cut myself polishing the edge because I forgot that the knife is still sharp. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and you just take that little piece of 2000, uh, 2000 in- infused paper, uh, uh, tissue paper, and you just like rub, rub, rub over the edge until you're satisfied with the finish. And you get this beautiful, creamy, gray finish in the back and a nice, bright edge. That's how I get my hamon to pop. Rub it until you're happy. That's it. Yes. <laughs> Got to rub one out, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's some pro tips from one of one of the greats. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I don't think so. Look, this is just uh, what I made I, work in my workshop. This, this I is don't not, know. You, not you do nice, you do nice, bloody nice hormone work. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, but you'll notice Some, they're, they're all just plain boring, wavy hormone. They're not elaborate. <laughs> Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, and something something that is interesting is, like, you use 1070 for your hormones, and so many people in, like, the Western Bladesmithing Society and all that kind of stuff, they tend to use W2-1095, the really hyper-eutectoid steels, but uh, Katana, which are the most He's famous... He's word, guys. Yeah. Katana, which are the most famous for hormones, tend to be around 1060. Um, like the, the original Katana, um, when once they've homogenized their carbon content because of the various folding and all that kind of stuff, normally, uh, from what I've seen of metallurgical testing of Katana, tend to be between 1055 and 1065. Like they tend to like bridge that range. So you're getting, well, you can get some amazing it's not, activity. It's not supposed to be too hard, yeah. No, but like the, the big thing is that you get amazing activity out of that steel like even though it's a fairly low carbon steel um because it's also a very low alloy steel it tends to um bring out hormone really really well it's not all about the yeah. carbon carbon content it's about the alloying content glorious nippon steel indeed cut through machine gun barrels cutting shot yeah it's exactly good. <laughs> <laughs> you know i was very disappointed nobody noticed my t-shirt when i had my thumbnail for my my interview episode a couple episodes ago Nobody yeah. noticed my T-shirt. I didn't notice it until you pointed it out to me. Yeah, I know. People are going to have People, to go back and have a look. They need to look back at the thumbnail. They do. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so before we leave you, Stuart, what's what's your next level up? What are you working on next? What are you eyeing off next that you want to learn? Or, it looks or like he, perfect. I know he's working on his mm. Ikyuk blade. His, his Ikyuk. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, in, in South African eye cake. Oh, eye cake, uh-huh. yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, most people who, who realize what it is know what it is, so I might as well say I'm going to do my Master Smith cut and bend next weekend. Mm. And that's I, what I, that's so I asked you that, and you said it wasn't for that. I lied. <laughs> Good I lied. heavens. <laughs> I am crushed. <laughs> Anyone, Crushed. like anyone seeing the blade profile, immediately knows what it is. Yeah, like, and I, mess, I messaged <laughs> you. I'm like, oh my yeah. god, are you finally uh-huh. doing it? He's like, no, no, it's not for a test. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you heard it here first, guys. Well done. I'm excited well, uh, for you. Man. A lot of a lot of guys have 
astutely figured it out because they said, oh, that's a chopping knife. And some guys were like immediately like, good luck with MS, bro. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> it man. was when I saw oh, the Danny pattern peeking through, I'm like, oh, there it is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The, Look, the moment I saw the profile, so much, I was like, ooh, master. Yeah. Look, I mean, if um, the, the, entire, the next six months of my life are going to be dictated by what happens next Saturday. You because are going to smash pass, it. Do it live. If I, yeah. if I pass, I will um, have to prepare knives for Master Smith because I'm going to Blade Show next year. Well, I'm, we my know. Tickets, my Airbnb and everything. Well, just leave, just just do a Neil's and leave it until the last, you know, like six weeks. Yeah, do it in It'll six be fine. weeks. Whole set in six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I'm not like I'm not a dagger machine like Neil's is. You know, the guy. Uh, but but he's set up. He's got his lathes and he's got all his tools right set up to make the most perfect things. And he's got his perfect little bench. My workshop is a one car garage. Covered in dust. <laughs> I mean, at least you're going to remember to tighten your nuts. Um, you know, like, <laughs> uh, hopefully, don't don't make the same okay. mistake. Think, you don't I want think, to give South African knife makers a like a a complex when it comes to that thing, kind of thing. The thing, that, the thing that I'm worried about the most is if I pass, obviously, is the um, the quillen dagger. I've never made a wire inlay quillen dagger before, so we'll see. They're not that bad. But, Ah, nah. I, I know the theory. I know the theory. I've seen it done many times. I've held them in my hands. I know the process. I've watched Carl Royer do it. I've watched Alex Steele do it. I've watched all the YouTube guys make them. So it's like it's like trying to act out of a play that you've watched a thousand times, but everybody's expecting <laughs> you to know the words. You know. Yeah. Uh, we've seen your work. We we know what you're capable of. I have no doubt you'll pass. I'm only ever going to use the word when you get Master Smith. Yeah. <laughs> You got to you got to go into well, it with Niels's Niels's confidence. He's just, you know like Niels like a, two years before Niels went for a mess. He was like, "I'll be Master Smith in like you know year after next. No worries." And I, I sort of put you in the same <laughs> category as Niels. It's kind of like getting Master Smith at this point for you guys is just a formality. Mm -hmm. Look, I've seen some of the knives that go for Master Smith, and they. It's it's not one of, it's not one of those oh you know you did really well you got seventy percent good good for you no it's pass fail yeah you know mm -hmm. they don't like it thanks for playing you know thank you for coming you wasted yep. all your money flying all the way to America blade shows still be so, fun yeah that's, that's the, no 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 look I mean like I said if I pass the cut and bend then it's the the blades. Once I've got the blades and I've shipped them to America, I'm not, I don't take them in person because I don't like to deal with the custom ship when I walk through the airport with knives in my bag. I know there's a whole process that the guys go through, but I don't want to do that. So I'll just ship it. And I'll pick them up on the other side. But um, then, obviously, once I've got my knives ready, um, I'm not thinking I've passed. I'm thinking, how can I sell these knives? Because <laughs> most of it's yep. cool, but I, I need to make money. Just, just, yeah. just get people to make dibs on them before you even take them over there. It'll be fine. Yeah. No, no, but the problem is, oh, no, I didn't get Master Smith. Sorry, I don't want it anymore. I don't want that. Hack <laughs> <laughs> knife making uh, trash. No, it's, it's, a, it's a piece knife. of history. It's Stuart Smith's practice round for going for Master Smith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
Well, look, if you go onto Blade Gallery, you can see my journeyman smith. It's just, it's, it's the set, the full set with my Ben knife is for sale there. Yeah. And, uh, if anybody's interested in a in a piece of Stuart Smith history, that's that's it right there. Now, I really like right. I really like my knives that I made. I was very happy with them, but I made the made the fatal error of submitting knives the same year as Jackson Rumble. <laughs> and uh, that's, just, a, that's a mistake. And all the guys, <laughs> all, the, all, all the guys were like, "Oh, fuck this! Why don't we just pack our knives up and go home now?" <laughs> he's like, he submitted an, oh, geez, I can't believe an integral keyhole Bowie knife. Integral D-hole, it was, D hole, um, keyhole dagger as well. It was flawless. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" Who competes with this shit, man? Come on. <laughs> you still got your JS, though. Yeah, but it was like, oh, thanks for paying, Stu. Here's a little dissipation prize. <laughs> Look, and I, I know they don't. I, I know they don't just give away JS. Music. You know, if you get your, if you get your JS, you earned it. Yeah. Okay, which is fine. So I, I know I got my JS with confidence, and it, it was great. But really, again. I mean, he got the BR Hughes Award for Best New Knife Maker. Of course he did. You know. He also got the Joe Keys Award. Sorry, Sam, am I boring you? <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing the photos <laughs> when I when I met Jackson at Blade Symposium in 2020. And I just went, wait, wait, this is your Journeyman Smith set? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, right. shit, dude. What the hell? Why? And he's like, why not? Because he can. I mean, you know, as you know, Mike Cuisenberry, right? Yep. Mm. That guy does an integral dog bone uh, twi- uh, Turkish twist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to be a fly on the wall in that workshop when he's making one of those. Absolutely. I just, it's just like, the mind boggles at how intricate and precise those knives are. And Absolutely. whenever I see him, I'm like, oh, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. You know, Wayne World style. Really, I'm, I'm hoping to reach out to Mike very soon and try and get him on the show because uh, I reckon he'd be an amazing person to talk to. Mm. I'll tell him I said hi and I wasn't worthy. <laughs> <laughs> but with that yeah. being said, we have been going for almost two hours now. Mm. Um, yeah, and we 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 do have places to be, people to see, beds Sleep to hit. To get. <laughs> hey looking this good does not come from lack of sleep it's true and like i honestly i could talk to you for like days on a, at a time Stuart. and i'm really glad that i got to spend this time on the on the show with you today yeah. um, i was very sad that i missed the last one <laughs> but uh yeah no thank you for coming back um, if people are looking uh, to track you down, where can where where are the best places to look for you to see your work, Stuart? If people, for some strange, curious reason, are not following you yet, well, of the obvious places on Instagram under Smith Hand Forge Knives, one word, on Facebook, Smith Hand Forge Knives, separate words, and of course my the right currently defunct YouTube channel, which is Smith Hand Forge <laughs> Knife, which I've just crossed over twenty thousand subscribers. So. And it has you the know, most and comprehensive. And, and I haven't had a, a, a new video in an entire year. It does have yeah. one of the most controversial videos that I have over eight, I think so, almost 900,000 views now. Is my Puko mm. video where <laughs> I discuss um, a zero bevel edge. 
and mm. there was great controversy about that. And mm-hmm. you go to the go to the comments. It's it's entertainment gold, you know. It also contains some of the I most comprehensive that... Lin Ray fit footage on YouTube, which uh, I I think is the most valuable thing that you've ever brought to the <laughs> the internet. Oh yeah, yeah, that was amazing. I mean, Lin got down on his hands and knees. That a, a nice old gentleman, and he drew out how to forge a flipping um, uh, a, a, one of his integral uh, X-rays hunting knives that he does. X-rays, yeah. yeah. And I was like, he just showed me on the spot, and he made one on the spot, and I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, when I stay in Atlanta next year, I will be staying with Lynn for three days nice. after Blade Show. And uh, then I'm going to be staying with Brian Tomberlin, who's one of the chairs of the American Blade Society. And I'll be staying with him after American. that. Yeah. So I'll be staying with them before I come back home. And hopefully, I'll get to do some American stuff barbecue, shooting so, things. I love American food. <laughs> oh, I hope it gets that'd be cool. Mm. <laughs> Blowing stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Mer- Mer- Merca. 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 All the stuff you do in America. <laughs> I, le- I leave you with this joke. Uh, after hearing from our friend Thor asking about the Hamones, was it Thor asked about the Hamones? Mm-hmm. No, that was Keith. Uh, no, that was Keith, not Thor. Okay. Well, well Thor, when you, as soon as you said his name, it reminded me of an old. Very childish but still funny joke. The mighty Thor was riding on his great steed, shouting, I'm Thor, I'm Thor. And a little cherub saw him and said, Of course, you silly boy, you're riding without a paddle. Child's <laughs> <laughs> oh, joke, but still valid. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people uh, like Thor want to email in with questions about blacksmithing or bladesmithing, they can either slide into our DMs where you go by the Forgecast on Instagram and Facebook, or you can email us your questions at ask.forgecast at gmail.com, and they may just get answered on the show, sometimes by our special guests. So uh, if people are looking for you, Sam, where can they find you? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, Redbubble, you know, the kitchen sink. You can find me on TikTok now, you know. Uh, where can they find you, Alex? I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, Redbubble. Oh, God, everywhere. I'm like a bad smell. You can't get rid of me. And on the local street corner, pouring yourself a cash. That's it. <laughs> hey, man, times are tough. <laughs> Needs must. Only fans. Yeah, that's it. Only fans, but you'll only see my feet there. So, yeah, you know. Hey, there's a there's a market for that. So be careful. <laughs> yes, yeah, you're one of the best customers. Oops, yeah. sorry. <laughs> oh no. Secrets out me. now. It wasn't me, officer. <laughs> anyway, guys, I hope you're keeping well. I hope you keep those fires lit, and we'll see you all next week. Bye bye. Thanks for having me. Cheers.